Welcome to Go Green Radio, brought to you by Covanta Energy. Reduce, reuse, recycle, rethink renewable energy and energy from waste. This program will help start you thinking about how to protect our world and its important resources. Now here's the host for Go Green Radio, Jill Buck. Welcome to Go Green Radio, everybody. So glad that you could tune in and join us. Our guest today is one of my favorite humans, Osprey Oriel Lake. She's been on the show before, but it's been way too long since we've checked in with her organization, the Women's Earth and Climate Action Network. Uh, She is the founder and executive director of that organization, and they have some big things coming up uh, in the next few days, and I'm excited to talk with her about that. And we'll also be checking in with her on some of the big projects projects that they're working on um, internationally. And Osprey, welcome back to Go Green Radio. I am just thrilled to have you back on the show. Oh, it's really great to be here, Jill. And I also so appreciate that you've really kept the drumbeat of this important show going so people can learn more and more about what's happening in the world uh, environmentally. So thank you. You bet. Well, let's start by talking about the march that you have taking place on September 8th. Talk to us about who will be involved, where it's taking place, and some of the key objectives of that march. Sure. Well, you know, to contextualize the march, um, it's happening in the lead up to the Global Climate Action Summit, which is happening in San Francisco and California next week. And uh, this gathering was really called together um, to bring policymakers, um, business leaders from across the United States and around the world uh, to look at um, the goals, the stated goals of each country in terms of their carbon emissions and to encourage more action to achieve the aims of the, the well-known Paris Climate Accord that came out of um, the United Nations Climate Talks, COP21 in Paris some years ago. So it's a time to evaluate that and to be able to increase activity um, but at the same time, this is an incredible opportunity for civil society, grassroots movements, uh, community-led organizations to um, really look at what we are expecting and demanding from governments. So while this is going on, uh, we're going to be seeing this as an opportunity to pressure local governments and institutions to raise their ambitions and also to focus on climate justice. So uh, within that framework, um, there's going to be people having uh, marches, uh, marches really all over the world across the United States, but they're popping up all over the world in solidarity to really mark this moment. And people are uh, marching with the focus of climate, jobs, and justice, that all of these things can come together. And uh, the, the march here in San Francisco, where I am, um, we're very excited about that. There's been a lot of organizing, um, again, to really demonstrate to governments, um, you know, what is real climate leadership? What are solutions from the grassroots? And we also want to really show frontline communities, indigenous peoples, communities of color, low-income communities, marginalized peoples, and show that they're really being impacted worst by climate change and that they really need to have their voices heard and the solutions that they're offering that protect their communities be part of the dialogue. So, All this is going to be going on, and particularly with the Women's Earth and Climate Action Network, we're very excited because we're going to be um, the hub for a Women for Climate Justice contingent. Um, We actually were part of a march yesterday in New York, a sister march in New York City. Um, On uh, this Saturday, March 8th, we'll be uh, collecting at 10 o'clock. It's going to be happening down in the Embarcadero in San Francisco, marching from the Embarcadero to the Civic Center. And um, everyone is welcome. It's 
children friendly. There's going to be a lot of different uh, constituencies marching from labor to, as I mentioned, indigenous people who will be leading the march to honor uh, the frontline nature of their struggles. Um, we will be seeing all kinds of scientists there. I mean, you name it. There's nurses marching. There's all kinds of groups marching, youth groups marching. Um, and I think it's, it's uh, a very important time for people to demonstrate their concern about the climate crisis. So they'll be happening across the country. People are welcome to join us. And in terms of the Women for Climate Justice contingent, we have a toolkit online. You can get that on our website at www.wecan, and then the word international spelled out, dot .org, giving a toolkit with posters and messaging. And the last thing I'll say on that is our contingent is going to be really focusing on um, I'm uh, sending a message that uh, many of us who stand on the front lines of climate change across the United States or around the world are really concerned about the impacts and the implications of um, you know, our current administration here in the United States, government officials uh, who promote advancement of fossil fuels, extractive economies, uh, climate skepticism, environmental racism, and this inequitable treatment of women and frontline and indigenous and marginalized communities um, as we look at what we need to do for solutions. So we're looking towards uh, also sharing what women are doing to build climate solutions and have a future that's good and healthy for um, ourselves, our families, our communities, and the rest of the world. So it's a time for people to go on the streets and to really make it known to elected officials that, you know, people really care about these issues and we want people um, in the government to really start addressing it with much, much more speed and clarity, uh, particularly with the climate justice framework. Awesome. That is fantastic. And I, uh, you know, you have organized so many successful gatherings of this nature. And I just, you know, I'm so enthused to hear that you're doing this in, in lieu of, uh, you know, some other things that I see other organizations doing, you really get people together and you're such a great um, force for bringing folks together in person. And I just love that. Um, I want to discuss the Women's Assembly Assembly for Climate Justice, uh, Women Leading Solutions on the Front Lines of Climate Change that you'll be hosting on September 11th. I looked at your website and I read that one of the goals of the gathering is to speak out against environmental and social injustice. Give us a preview of some of the injustices that will be highlighted by some of the speakers at that event. Sure. Um, So the event is happening on the eve of the Global Climate Action Summit, which I'll just start calling GCAS since it's such a big word, Um, you know, because we really want to uplift women. And I think just to to understand why we're getting into these injustices, um, I, I think it's important to know that all over the world, um, you know, from the heart of the ongoing Standing Rock movement to struggles to protect the Amazon and Congo Basin, um, you know, and hundreds of places in between, women are really on the front lines of global efforts to defend the land and heal our world. And I think, you know, one of the reasons we're bringing the women together is really in every sector from renewable energy initiatives to fossil fuel divestment to agriculture, agroecology, um, women are at the helm working to really change um, the current destructive trajectory we're on. And so we want to bring women together because their voices um, often go unheard, even though they're speaking and acting with a lot of strength and leadership. So, you know, the bottom line is that gender discrimination and the systemic violations of women's rights um, really manifest in women being disproportionately impacted by environmental degradation and climate change. So there's this link 
around these injustices around women's rights, Indigenous rights that have um, women being impacted first and worst. So as an example, 80% of global climate refugees are women. And this is really an indicator of the fact that the wow. poor are especially impacted by climate change and women make up the majority of the severely impoverished, um, impoverished peoples around the world. And so, again, you know, a lot of this is due to a denial of their rights and gender inequities in countries around the world to different degrees. Um, in many indigenous and frontline communities, sexual violence against women, um, sadly, is an additional threat perpetuated by fossil fuel mining industry. So, you know, um, your listeners may have heard of man camps, um, and we've seen them in the United mm -hmm. States, we've seen them in Canada, and basically what they are are expansive trailer units, sometimes housing thousands of industry workers in the oil and gas drilling regions. And these men come into communities, they're not part of it, and what happens is that it really results in skyrocketing rapes of um, an abuse of local women. And unfortunately, mm -hmm. um, indigenous women are the ones who um, are inordinately targeted. And so it's a, it's a very tragic situation. So we're going to be talking about that, the injustice of what happens with, you know, these communities that are impacted by the fossil fuel industry. Uh, we're mm -hmm. also looking at around the world um, women land defenders, and there's been an increase um, in the criminalization and attack and murder, actually, of, of women who are defending their rivers, their communities, their land. And uh, if folks want to learn more about that, Global Witness is an amazing organization that really reports on land defenders every year. And so we're looking at also this link between violence against women and violence perpetuated against the earth through exploitation and extractivism and seeing that there's really a link about, you know, how we treat women, how we treat the earth. And these stand from very old ideologies, uh, patriarchal ideas, uh, colonization, um, racism, capitalism, all of these things are linked up. And so we have to really come at this at a systemic level because all of these systems are really promoting power over um, and exploitation of the land, of women, people of color, indigenous people. And these oppressions have to be addressed for us to really get to climate change. And that's one of the things that we're looking at when we're talking about injustices is that as we move forward to have new social constructs of, you know, gender, uh, gender equality, racial equity, respect for human rights and indigenous rights, governance systems that respect nature, all of these things are linked up, and we think that women are really leading the way uh, to these solutions, and we're really seeing around the world that you actually can't get to sustainability without uh, lifting up women's leadership. Everything from the fact that, um, you know, to, when you empower women and give them agency, there's important uh, benefits to communities from the expansion of local communities to population stabilizing to improving children's education. Uh, in many countries, when women vote uh, they, uh, and, and are leading in office, there are improvements in environmental and social legislation. Uh, we know in the Global South, uh, where women are in charge of 40 to 80 percent of household food production, they are really positioned to chart a new way around food production, food security, food sovereignty. I could go on and on about women and mm -hmm. water programs around the world and how they they are um, only effective if you engage women because they're the ones who have the local water knowledge. So right. in short, it's just really seeing how uh, we're going to be looking at women's leadership and the direct result of how they lead out 
and how they're also going to be fighting for uh, social environmental justice. Well, and what's great about this approach is that it's it's systemic. You know, sometimes we look at, you know, these societal problems and issues in silos. And what I love about the approach that you're taking is that it's very holistic. It looks at, you know, the way that, you know, social injustice and environmental injustice and, and some of these, you know, other issues, they're all related to uh, the same set of priorities or uh, if you want to call them principles or values, uh, the same values that would allow us to um, degradate the environment, allow us to degradate other human beings. And and I love the holistic approach that we can brings to that discussion. You know, I also read that the speakers at your event on September 11th will be drawing attention to some of the root causes of the climate crisis. And, and in your own words, what what do you see as the root causes of the climate crisis? It's such a big subject, but I will, you know, just, you know, maybe, you know, highlight a few key points. I mean, I think, you know, we are in this climate crisis because of how we have been living for a very long time. It's, you know, if we look at underneath how we got to putting over 400 parts per million of carbon emissions in the atmosphere, um, you know, it's based upon, um, again, some of these, these issues I've been talking about concerning you know, a dominator worldview where we believe we have dominion over nature, dominion over women, dominion over people of color, and these ideologies that have really led us to think that we can be here on earth and just keep taking, that there isn't reciprocity. Um, You know, a lot of indigenous peoples have something that they call, you know, original instructions that they really live by, where you live in harmony with other people, you live in harmony with the natural world, you don't have dominion over, you're in relationship to. And I think that value has really been lost in our modern society. And as mentioning earlier, you know, we're looking at unchecked patriarchy, colonization, racism, and capitalism, you know, and all of these things have led us to the point where we're destroying the earth. Because let's say tomorrow we solve the climate crisis. If we continue to consume and dominate the world and think that the earth is a commodity for us to just use and use and use uh, mm-hmm. without any care, reciprocity or care for future generations, then, you know, we're going to still have the same result of where right. we're headed now, which is, um, you know, very destructive. So, I right. think that we have to look at these the relationships between these things and understand that, you know, we have to change how we're living with um, each okay. other and the earth, look at our economic models and realize that they're based on endless economic growth on a finite planet. And all right. of these things mean that we have a change in, in how we live and um, our understanding of ourselves and, and uh, different communities. Well said. And, you know, we've got to take a quick commercial break, but I I think that the the bottom line is we live in a world with limits and we need to act like that <laughs> and take action based on that. We, you know, this is, we don't have limitless natural resources and limitless um, capacity and, and we need to really start to begin to live with those limits um, in mind. Uh, We're going to take a quick commercial break, but when we come back, we've got much more with Osprey. And so don't go away, folks. There's more Go Green Radio right after this. News. News. Opinion. 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 Opinion.
voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. Take a wild guess. How much garbage generated in the United States today is converted into energy? Is it 26%, 43%, or 14%? Working here and around the world to produce a reliable supply of clean, green energy, Covanta Energy works with communities to turn household trash into energy. Oh yeah, that question I asked earlier? Today, only 14% of U.S. garbage is converted to energy. Just 14%. Covanta alone processes half of that municipal solid waste into renewable energy for a cleaner world. For more information about Covanta Energy, visit us today at www.covantaenergy.com. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Jill would love to hear your comments or questions on today's show, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Write to us, too. Save some trees and send us an email to gogreenradio at gmail.com. That's gogreenradio at gmail.com. Now back to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Welcome back to Go Green Radio. So glad that you could all join us. If you're just tuning in, let me catch you up. Our guest today is Osprey Oriel Lake. She is the founder and executive director of the Women's Earth and Climate Action Network. And you can check out their website. Uh, keep listening to us here on voiceamerica.com, but open a new tab in your web browser and go to we caninternational.org and that's where you can find um, all of the information that we're talking about. They have a great event that's coming up in San Francisco on September 11th. It's called the Women's Assembly for Climate Justice, Women Leading Solutions on the Front Lines of Climate Change. And this event is going to there's a just a VIP rock star lineup of women who are going to be speaking at this event, and they're going to be presenting um, a really diverse array of visions and strategies uh, for creating a more healthy and equitable world. And Osprey, I'd love for you to talk about some of the women who are going to be speaking at the Women's Assembly for Climate Change, some of the strategies that will be discussed. Give us a give us an overview of what is going to happen at this event. Sure. So um, we're bringing all of these different women together because, uh, as we were talking about earlier, there's really not going to be effective action towards sustainability without women's leadership. And so we're very excited to have this international forum so that um, uh, people can both be there present September 11th in San Francisco, or we are also going to be uh, live streaming it so people can participate in different manners. Um, But... We are very excited about the women who are coming. Uh, just to give a sense of it, the event will be opened with Karina Gould, who is Ohlone. She's a spokesperson of the Confederate villages of Lejeune or the Ohlone people here in San Francisco. And we think it's really important, and more groups, of course, are starting to do this um, in the climate justice movement, which is to understand that we really need to honor the indigenous people on whose territories we're living. And so we're extremely thankful that Karina Gould will be coming and opening the 
event and welcoming us to San Francisco, to Ohlone territory, and really having that be part of the solution, which is getting connected to Mother Earth, getting connected to the people who have the original instructions of the lands upon which we live. And so we're really honored she'll be coming and sharing uh, about her work in the area to protect her territories in the San Francisco Bay Area. Um, we'll be having uh, some leaders from the community of uh, Sariaco in the uh, Ecuador- Ecuadorian Amazon, where I was earlier this year. Uh, we have the president of Sariaco coming, um, a powerful man, Miriam Cicernos, who will be coming and talking to us about her work to protect the Amazon rainforest in Ecuador. Um, we're extremely honored to have the president of the Marshall Islands uh, come and speak with us. President Hilda Heine, uh, one of the uh, first women leaders of the Marshall Islands, and uh, she'll be talking to us about what island nations are experiencing, and also the former president of Ireland, uh, Mary Robinson, who now has a foundation concerning climate justice. So we're really honored to have these high-level officials come so that we can have them hear from the grassroots and have an exchange around policy uh, and <clears throat> what frontline communities are uh uh, demanding and needing um, being impacted first and worst by climate change, but also the solutions they're offering. So I think there'll be some really dynamic exchanges. Uh, we'll be talking um, also with Michelle Cook, a uh, Navajo human rights lawyer, working on a very powerful divestment campaign to move money out of the fossil fuel industry into clean energy and protecting indigenous rights and lands from a lot of these pipeline fights that we're seeing across the country and up in Canada. Um, we'll be having Penny Opa Plant, uh, who, as an Indigenous woman and co-founder of Idle No More San Francisco Bay and uh, co-founder of Movement Rights. And she's a very powerful leader here in the San Francisco Bay area. They've been really uh, some of the big leadership around many of the actions that take place here. Um, I think uh, the other thing I'd mention um, we're really excited about, all of the women are awesome. We have um, uh, so many, it's hard to say. Jacqueline you Patterson really from- do. And yeah. the AP. I mean, it's incredible. And, and I'll just close out by saying this, the evening session will be um, what is this moment in a climate movement and what actions are most needed. And they'll have, be um, Casey Camp Hornick, who's a Ponca Nation elder, uh, Annie Leonard, the executive director of Greenpeace, Amy Goodman from uh, the producer, of course, of Democracy Now! and Errol Derringer from Canada. So, you know, we welcome everyone to come. And you know, just, just to say that, you know, uh, women are, are asking a lot of questions, coming up with incredible solutions. And I think there's a clear systemic link between the climate crisis, our economic model, and the ongoing exploitation and disempowerment of women. And I think women are addressing at the systemic level, and they're advocating for and implementing models of collective ownership of their businesses, of their seeds, their plants, their forests. You know, we're talking about um, uh, um, global south countries working to localize economies and the types of solutions that grassroots women develop from like the solar sister organization providing solar light in local businesses for women in rural regions of Africa to women constructing wind resistant housing in Bangladesh to tree planting projects that we're very engaged in in the DRC and Democratic Republic of Congo fossil fuel resistance uh, efforts um, with against these pipelines I was mentioning they're really demonstrating alternative plans and policies. And I think that the central point is that women work often at a small-scale solution with large impacts, and it really changes some of these models and makes them much more local, which is what we need. So we, you know, have a local economy, local watershed, local
local food shed. And it's not that women aren't doing huge projects, but they also have a tendency to really know how to move their communities. Women have a lot of social capital in terms Mm -hmm. of their uh, community building and reach as community leaders and community-led solutions. Um, So we think it's really important that these kind of conversations are going to go on, everything from, you know, agroecology to uh, voting and what women are going to be doing around voting in uh, this next election cycle, but also, you know, across the country and other countries. uh, We'll be talking about um, also how... I think this is a really big question. I'll end with this. You know, does it make sense to try to protect the earth and heal our damaged ecosystems by further subjecting nature to the very systems like our current economic model, as we were talking about, that caused the damage in the first place? And and how do we get into a deeper discussion of capitalism, colonization, and, uh, you know, linking this issue into racism and so many problems we're having in the country right now that, again, the systemic approach, a holistic approach is really needed if we're going to work together have a collective vision and, and heal the land in our communities and really move out of a system of, um, you know, corporations and uh, um, our, our economic system putting uh, profit above people and planet. That's something mm-hmm. we have to really drive home to government leaders as we want to care for people and planet above profit. And a lot of the discussion will also be uh, um, dealing with that issue. Mm-hmm. Now, the Women's Assembly for Climate Justice that you're hosting is presented the day before the Global Climate Action Summit takes place and begins. Some of our listeners probably don't know what the Global Climate Action Summit is all about. So help us understand the purpose of that summit and how your gathering will present uh, maybe some strategies or, or calls for leadership or calls to action to that uh, to that gathering? Yeah, so um, the Global Climate Action Summit is a gathering of mayors and local governments, business and civil society in San Francisco. It's going to run uh, between September 12th and 14th. And the stated goal is to showcase climate action taking place around the world and inspire deeper commitments um, uh, uh, by uh, local governments to uh, reducing carbon emissions. And uh, many of the grassroots groups, people who are working, you know, day in and day out for our communities are seeing this as an opportunity to really pressure local leaders uh, across the country, around the world to step up and do much more to stop the fossil fuel industry itself and to build 100% renewable energy for everyone. Um, you know, the Paris Climate Accord was successful in bringing together the entire world around a common goal, but, you know, there's many flaws in the Paris Climate Accord. Um, and, you know, now we need to really get into the nitty-gritty details of, you know, one, it's not enough. We know that the, um, the, 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 the reductions that are coming from governments out of the Paris Climate Accord is not nearly enough. Uh, to, to really avert the worst effects of climate catastrophe. So we need to keep putting more pressure on governments to do more. Um, and uh, as I say, the grassroots groups, um, frontline communities are recognizing this as an important moment to apply pressure and stand for justice. Uh, the global movement for climate justice will have a strong presence holding actions and events throughout the week and organizing to build our collective power and our own narrative about what's really needed. So it's a way to really um, uh, demonstrate to leaders who will be coming, elected officials, you know, what solutions that are community-led, that have a climate justice framework, 
that are working in local communities um, and really uh, honor the fact of frontline indigenous marginalized communities, communities of color, what they're ex- uh, experiencing. And they don't want to be, you know, left out of the conversation. As I say, you know, if you're not at the table, you're on the menu. And we don't want that <laughs> for frontline communities. So right. we need to make sure that their voices are there and that um, there's all these organizing opportunities. I'll say um, It Takes Roots is a very powerful um, a collective of many different organizations. It Takes Roots. Uh, they have a lot of information on their website about activities that will be going on throughout the week. Um, Solutions to Solidarity Week, all throughout uh, the week in San Francisco with many um, Many, many events, um, conversations, panels, uh, marches, all kinds of things. So people can check out more that way as well. Well, and, and what I love about your organization, and, and it, you're not the only one, but you've been doing this for a long time. I think longer than a lot of environmental organizations have. And that is you bring together such incredible diversity um, of not just, you know, uh, racial and and uh, national differences, but uh, different ages, different, you know, backgrounds and and people from all over the world. And sometimes when I attend environmental, um, you know, gatherings, they tend to lack that kind of diversity that you just organically bring together. And I just love it. And I really applaud the Women's Earth and Climate Action Network, your organization, for doing that so, so well. We're going to take a quick commercial break, but when we come back, we're going to be talking about some of the work that your organization has been doing worldwide. So don't go away, folks. There's more Go Green Radio right after this. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. Take a wild guess. How much garbage generated in the United States today is converted into energy? Is it 26%? 43%? Or 14%? Working here and around the world to produce a reliable supply of clean, green energy, Covanta Energy works with communities to turn household trash into energy. Oh yeah, that question I asked earlier? Today, only 14% of U.S. garbage is converted to energy. Just 14%. Covanta alone processes half of that municipal solid waste into renewable energy for a cleaner world. For more information about Covanta Energy, visit us today at www.covantaenergy.com. Are you finding your frequency? It can be described as that space between failure and success. It's the future of digital media. It's finding your voice. It's engaging topics, content, and ideas. Jeff and Ryan discuss the digital media space and all of its aspects. It's about making the mistakes, taking the chances, summoning the intestinal fortitude to step out of your comfort zone, and discovering what you can accomplish when you decide to try, decide to learn, decide that you have something to say, and find your frequency. Fridays at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in your brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. You're 
You're listening to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Jill would love to hear your comments or questions on today's show, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Write to us, too. Save some trees and send us an email to gogreenradio at gmail.com. That's gogreenradio at gmail.com. Now back to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Welcome back to Go Green Radio. I am so glad that you could all join us. And if you've just tuned in, I'll catch you up. Our guest today is Osprey Oriel Lake. She is the founder and executive director of an amazing organization called Women's Earth and Climate Action Network, also called We Can. Um, and I would love for you all to check out their website because there's so much information about what's going on this week with um, in conjunction with the Global Climate Action Summit, but also about their work all over the world. So don't close out this tab in your web browser. Keep listening to us on voiceamerica.com, but check out, open a new tab and check out wecaninternational.org. And that's where you can find out how to get involved, how to support the work that they're doing worldwide. And we're going to be talking about that in this segment, some of the projects that we can is working on nationally. I'd love to have you talk about uh, the work that we can is doing on the reforestation program with pygmy women in their communities in the Democratic Republic of Congo, Osprey. So talk to us about that. Sure. Um, well, uh, we've been very, very honored over the last years to uh, partner with um, our ally Safeco, who are in the Entope region of the Democratic Republic of Congo. Um, and we, uh, I met Nima Namandu, who's a wonderful force of nature, actually, from the, the DRC. And um, we wanted to work together. Um, it's one of the regions that is very difficult um, for women to live. The, the violence in the Democratic Republic of Congo is, is very high. Poverty is very high. And, of course, at the bottom of the rung is, unfortunately, women and then indigenous women or pygmy women in, in, in um, that country. And so we, um, through a series of trainings that we held online, um, we brought together a lot of pygmy women from the Atombe region and did uh, a course on um, uh, women and patriarchy so they could understand their condition more and wanted to learn a lot more historically about that, what they could do about the land. But all uh, along, we wanted to move towards uh, what we could do to, to lift up their leadership, lift up their voices, lift up their traditional ecological knowledge, really honor them, and heal the land at the same time. And so uh, what developed is um, in these areas that have been deforested, uh, in the uh, uh, the DRC in their region, we began all these different nurseries that the women tend. Um, and over the course of many years, we've you know planted thousands and thousands of trees, uh, uh, given these women a wonderful way to have livelihood. We're also starting to practice some agroecology. So in addition to planting the trees, you know they're also growing different crops that they can keep for themselves or sell. Um, and the whole idea is to to lift up this community of women. These, uh, and at the same time, you know, make sure that we're sequestering more and more carbon. One of the main forests in the world for carbon sequestration, in addition to the Amazon, the boreal forest, the Indonesian forest, is, is the Congo Basin. And so it's very key for uh, our um, response to climate change that we protect the world's forests. And so by planting these trees, 
a few things are happening. Um, one is that uh, 25% of the trees that are being planted will be used for, for their communities, for, for what they have for their traditional way of life, with their food, with their medicines, um, with their housing. And 75% of the trees will go back to regenerate forest cover and go back to the wild. So over the course of many years, you can imagine you know, we're sequestering more and more carbon vis-a-vis you know, these, this reforestation program, while simultaneously this is stopping them from going to the old growth forest, the natural forest that is there, and cutting those trees down, which of course are a big carbon sink already. So mm-hmm. it's been just a, a wonderful experience to see the power of the women, um, seeing them take more and more power, healing the land, uh, bringing up um, you know, they're, they're just seeing their value in society increase. Um, it's helped to cut down the violence. It's, it's just been really remarkable. We're, it's been a joy, just a tremendous joy to work with them. And just the last thing I'll say in a personal, one of the things that's been so fun is that whenever we meet, they always are singing, no matter what. Mm-hmm. So everything mm-hmm. that, that we've done, um, they, they have these beautiful songs for, for everything and all of the work. And I've just been so proud of, of their hard work. And uh, it's, a, it's a very exciting program that we will continue. That's fantastic. Congratulations. Now, there's another project that you're supporting, and that's the Living Forest proposal of the Kishwa people of the Sariaku in the Ecuadorian Amazon. Talk to us about that project. Well, well, first of all, it's not a project of ours because it's it, it's just something we're incredibly grateful for a relationship with the, the Kicha women of Sariaco in the Ecuadorian Amazon who are, are fighting every day to stop oil companies from coming into their territories. Um, the Sariaco are protecting one of the most biodiverse regions in the world. And as we were just saying, you know, forests are so essential to, um, you know, protecting the global climate. So, um, in July of this year, leaders of the Kishwa people of Seriaco launched their historic Kalsak Sacha, um, which means the living forest, and it's a declaration. And um, I was very honored to be there uh, in July for five days of events, activities, ceremony, in, um, and be able to experience this launch of this powerful declaration, the, the living forest declaration. And the ultimate goal of Kalsakcha is to attain national and international recognition for a new legal category for the permanent protection of indigenous lands and this uh, not just for the Sariaco but but for all indigenous people um, and it, it, it it's an incredible document that really talks about from an indigenous view how they see us managing forests you know people who have lived there and maintained and cared for these forests for you know um, time immemorial. So, in, and the declaration recognizes the inseparable physical and spiritual relationship between the peoples of the living forest and all the beings that inhabit and compose of the forest. Um, so, it's a vision, a worldview, a strategy, which represents sort of all at once an ecological, political, cultural, spiritual, and economic analysis. Uh, and it's a very powerful uh, way for us to, I think, learn from Indigenous people how they view, you know, maintaining and respecting the natural cycles of nature. Um, and I will say the Sediaco people are just incredibly powerful people. I feel very humbled to be able to support them in any way in their effort. Um, you know, they've been very powerful in keeping oil extraction out of their territories for years. They've kept billions of oil in the ground through their, their struggles and their fight. Um, so I think this, this declaration is going to be something that 
really strengthens their legacy and protects indigenous rights, protects social and biological diversity, and not just the health of their community, but, you know, we all depend on the Amazon rainforest, you know, for for um, our, for protecting our climate, for the kinds of weather patterns that we have. I mean, it's an essential ecosystem. So, yeah, the weekend was very honored to be on the ground um, during the launch, um, and um, we participated in a, on a panel on women and extractivism and meetings for international allies so we could learn more how we can best support the Living Forest Declaration through education, policy advocacy, media outreach, and uh, sharing stories. And, of course, I felt very moved by uh, the women and the leadership of the women uh, behind a lot of this movement. Right now, the Sadiaco um, are led by a female president, Miriam Cisneros. Um, we've done some interviews for her that people can see on um, our website. So I think in the context of a global struggle for community-led climate solutions, this is really an important one. And I would encourage people to go to the website of the Sadiaco, S-A-R-A-Y-A-K-U, the Sadiaco, and learn about the Living Forest proposal and support them through, um, you know, being, becoming more education, educated about their work, about their struggle in the Amazon to protect um, their territories from oil extraction, to send them funds. They need financial support to do this incredible work they're doing. So, yeah, I just couldn't stress enough how important and vital this uh, declaration is to protecting forests and also providing a different worldview about how we can live in harmony with nature and each other. Mm-hmm. That's that's fantastic, and thank you for referring us to you know their website. and And I know that many of our listeners will want to check that out and become um, involved. We have an incredible uh, amount of uh, intellectual curiosity amongst Go Green Radio listeners, and so thank you for that um, for that information. Now, talk to us about Weekend's uh, continuing and expanding work with the rights of nature. This is such a great part of what you do, and I'd love for you to share that with our listeners. Sure, thanks. Um, Well, I think that, um, you know, as we're looking at human activities and choices now that are, you know, rippling out over the entire Earth, you know, we're affecting basically 4.5 billion years of evolution, you know, and I, I think we have to pause and say, you know, what is our responsibility at this critical juncture of the Anthropocene and, you know, climate uh, chaos? Um, and I think that respecting and implementing the rights of nature is a central part of a way forward. Um, our current legal systems recognize the rights of corporations, but not the rights of nature upon which all life depends. I don't think this makes any sense at all. And our, our legal frameworks right now concerning nature are based on seeing nature as property. And again, as we've been talking about this dominator worldview, like we own nature, has really um, been extremely destructive. And what I love about rights of nature, it completely changes how we view our relationship with the natural world to say, no, we have to have laws that see nature as a rights-bearing entity, that we're part and particle of the natural world, that there needs to be reciprocity, that we need to understand the natural laws of the earth and have our legal system based on natural law, not on uh, human constructs based on uh, economics, as an example. Um, So the current system is not leading us to justice and well-being for people and planet, and we need to respect, um, you know, the laws of Mother Earth. 
So it's a really groundbreaking legal framework, and um, you know that we that recognizes natural systems like rivers, forests, mountain ranges, and the climate as rights-bearing entities uh, that can be uh, have court cases actually to protect areas. And we've seen now um, across the United States and in countries around the world there being cases that have been won. This is now um, not just some idea, but putting put into practice. Um, you know, communities in the United States have stopped fracking in their communities uh, by adopting local ordinances with rights of nature, community right laws that say, you know, we have the right to say what's happening in our community and being able to trump corporate laws that come in and say, you know, we, we can take your water from you and saying, no, we have the right in our community to protect our water. Um, mm-hmm. I've been very excited to see in the last year's uh, rights of nature moving um, in different ways, maybe not stated in the same way, but this basic same idea um, in New Zealand, we've seen that um, a river now has become its own person. Uh, the river now has its own rights. They have a beautiful saying uh, from the Maori people in New, Ze- New Zealand that I am the river and the river is me, really showing us that um, you know we're connected in part and particle of nature and, and having that now become a legal framework that they can use in New Zealand. Right, right. and it is humbling. It's, you know, it's very humbling for human beings as we, you know, are on the, the crest of all these huge innovations in technology and we're so impressed with ourselves <laughs> and our science and technology and we should be. There, there's a lot of good that comes from that, but it's humbling to remember uh, and to live in such a way that reflects the fact that we are absolutely dependent on natural resources and if we desecrate them, we will be adversely impacted. And, and so that that's, requires a bit of humility on our part. We've got to take a quick commercial break, but when we come back, we have so much more with Osprey Oriole Lake. So don't go away, folks. There's more Go Green Radio right after this. Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com Take a wild guess. How much garbage generated in the United States today is converted into energy? Is it 26%? 43%? Or 14%? Working here and around the world to produce a reliable supply of clean, green energy, Covanta Energy works with communities to turn household trash into energy. Oh yeah, that question I asked earlier? Today, only 14% of U.S. garbage is converted to energy. Just 14%. Covanta alone processes half of that municipal solid waste into renewable energy for a cleaner world. For more information about Covanta Energy, visit us today at www.covantaenergy.com. All around the outermost rim of the shield, he set the mighty stream of the river Oceanus, creating Achilles' shield in Homer's The Iliad, Book 18. Rachel Carson in The Sea Around Us said, All at last, return to the sea, to Oceanus, the ocean river, like the ever-flowing stream of time, the beginning and the end. Moyer's Environmental Dialogues with Dr. Rob Moyer offers lively dialogue and revealing narrative inquiry into how individuals are overcoming obstacles and creating a greener and blue planet Earth. Tune in Thursdays at 3 p.m. Eastern, 12 noon Pacific on the Voice America Variety Channel. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Hey. 
are listening to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Jill would love to hear your comments or questions on today's show, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Write to us, too. Save some trees and send us an email to gogreenradio at gmail.com. That's gogreenradio at gmail.com. Now back to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Welcome back to Go Green Radio. Thanks to all of our listeners for tuning in, and thanks to our guests for being with us, Osprey Oreo Lake, the founder and executive director of Women's Earth and Climate Action Network, also known as We Can. Osprey, tell us about the divestment delegations that We Can has been involved in. I think that's a great, um, you know, topic of conversation that I want our listeners to know about. Sure. Um, the Divest Invest campaign, which is conducted in partnership with the founder uh, of the campaign, Michelle Cook, who's an amazing woman. I'm so honored to work with her. She's a leading Navajo or Diné human rights lawyer. And the campaign is part of, you know, an ongoing global, uh, a growing global movement, uh, which is pursuing different ways of looking at fossil fuel divestment efforts as a really critical strategy. And it's been very successful to protect the health of our communities, the rights of indigenous peoples, and to keep fossil fuels in the ground. So we're looking at, you know, how do we um, observe, um, you know, a lot of these, as an example, pipeline infrastructures, fossil fuel pipeline infrastructures that are going on across the country. People are probably familiar with the Keystone XL pipeline, mm-hmm. you know, we're, which had a very successful campaign to, to shut that down, um, bringing tar sands oil in from Canada, um, and all these different pipelines uh, that have been, you know, just riddling the country and basically lock us in to extracting more fossil fuels. So, that's one component of it. Another is that a lot of times, most often, these pipelines and fossil fuel infrastructure or the extraction sites themselves are put in places that impact uh, marginalized community, communities of color, and indigenous people across their territories and land. And I think, again, that's why we keep leaking in this issue of racism, environmental racism, with our conversation on solutions to climate change, because we really can't separate them. These, you know, the, the extractions and infrastructure of fossil fuel is mostly done in places, um, uh, uh, in communities of color and indigenous people's lands. And, and so they are the ones really leading the movement to uh, say, you know, this has to stop. And there needs to be justice and accountability here. So one way of going about that has been um, that we've been engaged in through this this project is to facilitate indigenous women's divestment delegations to Europe, advocating and calling for justice and action by banks, insurance companies, governments, and other institutions engaged in these extractive developments on indigenous lands uh, across the United States, but in other countries. But again, you know, with our approach of it being systemic, we're looking at how do we actually look at the guidelines of the banks, these financial institutions, and get them to adhere to the guidelines they may have around human rights and indigenous rights and um, environmental, environmental sustainability. How do we actually get them to, you know, implement what they already have or push them to have stronger policies? Um, and in the meantime, also divest from some very dangerous projects 
were addressing unethical financing of fossil fuel projects due to indigenous and human rights violations and dangers to the health of the water and the global climate. And of course, one big example, of course, would be with Standing Rock. You know, we went to a lot of banks who invested in Energy Transfer Partner, which is the company behind the Dakota Access Pipeline and right now the BioBridge Pipeline. Um, to really talk about the actual human indigenous rights violations that happened there and get the banks to divest from those companies that were really bad actors in that situation. You know, where there's a huge fight going on with the BioBridge pipeline right now with, you know, um, indigenous people, you know, putting their bodies on the line again to stop further fossil fuel extraction in their territories where they did not give consent to have pipelines go through. We have mm-hmm. the Kinder Morgan Trans Mountain Pipeline and Bridges Line uh, three pipeline. These are all, um, you know, big fights going on right now. So we've been meeting with banks face to face to demand divestment and accountability and a call for them to move to clean energy. And um, I'm very excited to say we've had some really good successes. Um, when we were in Norway, DNB Bank um, uh, were divested $331 million of their credit line um, to wow. the Dakota Access Pipeline following, you know, advocacy efforts from uh, the indigenous women, um, as well as an independent investigation in which DMB affirmed the violation of indigenous rights and failure to protect, um, you know, properly consult the Standing Rock Sioux tribe. So, anyways, it's a huge project. I'm very, very honored uh, to be partnering to do this with the founder. And um, I just could not stress how important the voice and power and leadership of indigenous women is right now. I think it's one of the most important things we have in terms of protecting biodiversity, changing our worldviews, and also um, really addressing the fossil fuel industry. I think, you know, the voice of Indigenous women could not be important, more important than it is right now. Right. Right. And and I want to give you a chance to tell our listeners how they can get involved. I know that a lot of them are going to feel very inspired by the work of Women's Earth and Climate Action Network, and they're going to want to get involved. Tell us how they can. Uh, yeah, well, there's a variety of ways. Um, first, you know, going to our website um, at www.wecan and then the word international spelt out org, and um, people can sign up for our newsletter. Uh, we often, you know, share a lot of the work that we're discussing here on the show today uh, through our newsletters. Uh, we have blogs. Um, we have a wonderful new, uh, incredible storytelling online database called Women Speak, Case Stories and Solutions about climate change from around the world. And uh, there are 15 categories with literally thousands of stories of women sharing their struggles and solutions from a climate justice framework. And they can go there and explore uh, so many incredibly inspiring stories of women's leadership and what to do and how to take action. Um, We do trainings. Uh, Usually at the beginning of the year, we'll be doing it again early in uh, 2019. In the spring, we do online trainings around so many exciting issues uh, around, you know, everything from how to bring solar power to your home to um, inviting Indigenous women to share their, um, uh, their, their campaigns to talking about um, democracy, voting, all kinds of things. And uh, uh, women in forest work and how to get involved with that. And so people can participate online. The trainings are always free. Um, and we always promote those on our Facebook um, page or on our website. So those trainings are something people can participate in. And of course, coming up really soon, uh, everyone is welcome to march with us on September 8th at the Women mm-hmm. uh, for Climate Justice contingent or join us on September 11th in San Francisco. 
Wonderful. Osprey, you are amazing. Your organization is doing some of the most critical work that is out there today. Uh, You're such a 21st century leader and thinker and collaborator. And I just am so grateful that you were able to come on, spend an hour with us on Go Green Radio. You're just so inspiring. And I want to reemphasize to our listeners that you can check out the website at wecaninternational.org. I want to thank Osprey for joining us. I want to thank all of our listeners for joining us as well. You know, we'll be here same time, same place next week with more Go Green Radio. And until then, I hope you have a wonderful week and do something in your life to go green. Did you get some terrific ideas from today's show? Please join us for more next Friday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, noon Eastern Time. It's Go Green Radio with Jill Buck here on Voice America. Go Green Radio is proudly sponsored by Covanta Energy, a leader in providing renewable energy solutions for a cleaner world. Visit www.covantaenergy.com for more information. We'll see you here next week.